Today on Rev Hangout, we'll talk about the incredible 2022 Rolex 24-hour race at Daytona, the controversial Haas F1 car launch, our predictions for the 2022 F1 season, and our predictions for the 2022 IndyCar season. Let's do it! Hello everybody, welcome to Rev Hangout. I'm your host, Nathan Nevue, and alongside me today is my good friend and co-host, Ben Bagley. How are you today, Ben? Oh, you know, it's going pretty good. Pretty good Sunday, relaxing, just waiting for some races to start. Oh uh, yeah, no, I'm so excited for the season of racing that's coming up. Um, got a lot of series starting up in early spring. Um, I'm just super stoked. I'm a big F1 fan, I know you are too, um, but I'm looking forward to getting into more of the smaller classes like, you know, MotoGP, um, even F2, F3. Expanding the palette, such as it is. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, we got quite a bit to talk about today. Um, we're smack dab in the middle of the off season, um, but last week we saw an incredible endurance race in Daytona, Florida. This year's Rolex 24 was incredible from start to finish. There was nonstop action in almost every class, and we saw some fan favorite battle fan favorites battle it out for their class wins. So let's go over the results real fast. Um, in the DPI class, car number 60 completed 60, 761 laps and took first place, driven by Oliver Jarvis, Tom Blancvist, Helio Castroneves, and Simon Pagano. In the LMP2 class, car number 81 completed 751 laps, finished best in class and fifth overall, and it was driven by Eric Lux, Devlin Francesco, Patricio Award, and Colton Herta. In the LMP3 class, car number 74 crossed the line, completing 723 laps, finishing best in class and 13th overall. It was driven by Gar Robinson, Felipe Fraga, Kay Van Berlow, and Michael Cooper. In the GTD Pro class, car number 9 completed 711 laps, crossing the line best in class and 19th overall, driven by Matt Campbell, Matthew Gemini, and Felipe Nazer. Rounding, thing off, rounding things off, in the GTD class, car number 16 completed 707 laps, ending up best in class and 24th overall, driven by Ryan Hardwick, Zachary Rubicon, and Jalen, yeah, Jan Halen, and Richard Yates. Congratulations to all the drivers and winners, and I'm really sorry for messing up your names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. so uh, did you see any battles that kind of stuck out to you? Uh, um, over the course. I know 24 hours is a long time to kind of sit and wait, but uh, honestly, that battle between the uh, two Porsches towards the end was really entertaining to watch. It's probably one of the better battles I've seen uh, across racing for, you know, past six months, probably. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the battles, I mean, I didn't catch the whole race, obviously. I just cut bits and pieces, as I'm sure most people did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I did watch the highlights afterwards, um, the extended highlights. I think there's some on YouTube. Um, and I saw that Porsche battle, and it was that was insane. The guy's sliding all over the track. <laughs> I forget who the yeah. drivers were. Um, it was between uh, the race winner for GTD Pro, uh, Matthew Gemini, and then Van Thor, uh, both in Porsches. Uh, and almost looked like a NASCAR stock race the way they were just sliding around, you know, painting <laughs> each other's doors, that kind of thing. Uh, it was great to see that they were both willing to kind of duke it out uh, and kind of keep the stakes high while not just absolutely wrecking out uh, just for the, the finishing place. Yeah, no, I that was that was probably the like most insane edge of your seat racing there was the entire night or the entire race. Um but I did see at the front, um, in the DPI class, uh, I would say Helio Castroneves, he did cross the line first at the end of the race, and he deserved every bit of that win. He, oh, fought, yeah. he fought for it for the entire race. Every time he was in the car, he was fighting people. Um, that class was in insanely competitive. It was really awesome. Yep. Patricio Award. Drove really well. Colton Herta also fighting in LMP2. There's a name um, that's been uh, brought up pretty recently here in regards to IndyCar and F1 too. Yeah, with Pato going to test for McLaren since he had that deal with Zach Brown, McLaren's CEO. Yeah, he, he yep. won one IndyCar race. 
you'd get an F1 test drive that year, and he won two last year, I believe. So that was awesome for him. I know he really liked it. He said he had a blast. He was so shocked by the capabilities of that car compared to anything else he's driven. Yeah, I would. whether it's feasible or not, I would always love to see, you know, drivers from other series uh, just moving around. Obviously, you see F1 drivers like Ramon Grosjean, Kevin Magnussen, uh, move down from F1 to other races, but seeing a level more shift up to would be really cool, uh, even if it's not for official races, but uh, just for like test drives and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. IndyCar, I mean, I am firmly of the mind that IndyCar drivers are just right up there with F1 drivers as some of the best in the world. Um, if you just look at Scott Dixon, um, the, the insane amount of success he's had in that series over yep. his career. Um, I think he'd fit right in. I think Padua Ward and Colton Herta would fit right in. I know there have been rumors that they've already been selected to come up next. Um, I personally yeah. think that if Daniel Ricciardo doesn't do much better this year, uh, Padua will probably replace him after that. Interesting. That's well, my uh, theory. Maybe we'll have to put money down on that. Because <laughs> uh, I know uh, the main rumors surrounding Colton Herta and his drive... Uh, and F1 was mainly surrounding, was it Andretti? Or, yeah, yeah Andretti, uh, considering buying into Formula One. Uh, yeah. Which would have been exciting, but that's a, a steep entry price, especially nowadays. Right. Um, the original plan, I thought, was for them to buy into the Sauber team, uh, Alfa Romeo. Yep. Um I think that would have kind. Of, I, think, I think because of technicalities, they wouldn't have had to pay a full entry fee for the team. It would have just been kind of a transfer over. Um, but then I know somebody. I think Orlin didn't want to sell or something like that. I don't even know the specific details, but uh, I know Alfa Romeo backed out, and so that left Andretti with really nothing other than possibly starting a team from scratch, which at that point in the year was not really feasible. Yeah. No. Out. I honestly don't know if it's really feasible anymore to start a team from scratch. There's I mean, so much that you have, so much background work that you have to do on these cars, development, uh, that sort of thing. That it's really difficult to get started unless you buy your way into a team. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that. You you have a background in building cars, race cars. Um, developing stuff uh let's talk about that for a little bit what, what oh, do you what, what do you do interesting segue uh <laughs> so i'm currently uh the captain that happened uh last year uh for oregon tech racing which is a a university a four-year university down here in southern oregon uh and i currently captain the formula sae spec race team of oregon tech racing uh, essentially, a little background on that is, you know, the SAE, the Society of Automotive Engineers, puts on a collegiate competition uh, where colleges, especially engineering colleges, can put their skills to the test in designing, uh, engineering, building, and marketing a small, uh, really maybe one-third size Formula One car, a uh, single-seater. We call them Formula SAE spec, really meant to just crush really tight autocross tracks. Uh, and cone lots, but I've been getting a chance to learn all about the design process on a very small scale, uh, team management type stuff, in addition to the actual technicalities of race car design. Gotcha, and you've been doing that all four years in college? All five years. Five years, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Um, so... I have always been curious. I've known I've known about what you do out there for a little while. Um, how much does downforce come into play? Because I've seen some some like videos and pictures. You can go follow. I think it's OIT Racing, right, on Instagram. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Go follow OIT Racing on Instagram if you're curious. Uh, they post pictures and videos of what they do all the time. Um, it's really interesting. I love seeing what they're doing. Um, so. I don't know how much downforce actually comes into play because it looks like you guys are going quick, but the courses are so tight and the cars are so small. I don't, I don't know how that really affects things much. Yeah, so that is always an interesting question to ask, depending on who you ask. Uh, for instance, our team, we it's a 
partially resources question. We have a really small team. We don't have a whole lot of time between all of our members or the resources to really uh, investigate a full arrow package because at these speeds, you know, it's not an enormous autocross track. We're maybe reaching 50 miles an hour uh, tops based on the design of the track. And that's not a whole lot of headroom for aerodynamics, like downforce to come into play. Obviously drag can come into it, but aerodynamics and downforce uh, are kind of selectively chosen based on where your team is at. So if you're our team and you have a lot of other things to improve on, uh, maybe you don't spend as much time on that. But if you're, for instance, OSU, which is the other uh, Oregon, big Oregon team in addition to Portland State, you have enormous resources and you have enormous skill with uh, your aero packages and your downforce. And that's really how you reach that last you know, 5%, 10% of your performance. But it really depends on where your car is at in the first place. Because, uh, yeah, it's not a tight track, and downforce really is a, a finicky thing to try to nail down. Gotcha, I see. So would you say it's more based on the chassis and suspension in terms of the, how the car handles? Yeah, uh, and even on that note, down to the driver uh, and how they react to downforce... That's, again, a driver preference, too. Maybe you prefer how a, a downforce car drives compared to a purely suspension-driven car. Uh, but it can it can be used to really elevate a design, but it comes with caveats that, you know, you're adding weight from an aero package, you're adding a whole lot of development time, and you're adding the potential that, you know, maybe there's some unforeseen consequence of an aero package that you didn't see, uh, and that might present itself outside of a typical racing scenario. Gotcha. Really cool. Um, nice to see that there's, you know, whole bunches of uh, up-and-coming engineers coming out of school that are going to keep racing going, hopefully, in the near future. That's the hope. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's transition into our Formula One season predictions. Um, I'm really excited for the season to start. There's been so much drama and controversy, especially over the last year with the battle between Max and Lewis. Um, it's been an absolute roller coaster, and I know for sure that these new regulations are going to give the midfield teams a real shot at punching about their weight when it comes to the um, Constructors' Championship. Um, so with these new regs, um, I know that uh, one of the big changes is going to be how the downforce is actually applied to the car. Um, so I don't know, have you read into the new regs much? Yeah, uh, I took a, a brief look over them, and a couple things stood out, especially with regards to uh, things like the wheel covers, those little winglets that you see over the wheels, and the barge boards. Uh, in addition, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but it doesn't really seem like on the show car that they released, uh, there wasn't a super evident like DRS flap necessarily uh, they could point to on the rear wing structure. So I'm kind of interested to see if slash how that is implemented differently versus the 2021 aero packages. Yeah, no, I noticed the same thing. Um, I saw there was a video. I didn't have time to watch it, but um, I saw a video talking about how the DRS actually works. Um, and it was showing the, it looks like it was going to show the actuation mechanism and how it actually looked. Um, so I'm sure it, it, it's probably pretty similar, but I, I did see also after the Haas F1 team launched their car a couple days ago, um, there was, there were a lot of people saying, oh, they forgot to put DRS on the rear wing. I was <laughs> yeah, like, mm, and I, probably I think not. a big thing to remember there, uh, the Gunther Center and one of the upper management for Haas did state after the release that that car will change, likely, before Barcelona uh, for testing, because that's not the final final iteration of the car. So while it's a good representative of what we're looking at, the reason it looks so similar to the show car is just because uh, teams haven't gotten to testing in Barcelona yet. So I would expect to see a lot of changes on the Haas car, at least, if not every other car in the field after Barcelona. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of the cars are going to change after their launches. Um, teams don't want to give away too much of what they're doing. Um, the interesting thing about that, though, is with these new regulations for 2022, 
there's not a lot of leeway for teams to work on, especially their aerodynamic components, because no, that's something I noticed too. Yeah, the dimensions are all like really exact. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if there's a big innovation, um, and if one team figures something out that's going to propel them to the top of the field, kind of like what happened in 2009 when Braun GP did that. Um, completely nailed the regulations with the double diffuser and <laughs> won almost yeah. every race that year. Yeah, um, so uh, kind of touching on that subject, you notice FAA is kind of strapping down on things that have been exploited uh, by teams in the past, like uh, the Braun exploit, uh, brake ducks, if you remember that whole thing, I believe in... Was that 2018 for Mercedes, where they had figured out how to use their brake ducts as an aerodynamic device? Uh, uh, I think it would have been 2019, because didn't uh, Racing Point get busted for copying them in 2020? Yes, potentially. I, I think. Uh, either way, sometime before 2020. Uh, that So you see the FIA strapping down on things like that with the wheel covers and the winglets, too. Uh, trying to really prevent teams from innovating in areas where they've seen them innovate before. But I'm also interested to see how the FIA would re react to potential, you know, game-changing innovations uh, to pull something from the Formula SAE rulebook. The judges have put in a rule where essentially anything that they deem unsafe or uh, not sporting on a Formula car uh, they can say it's against the rules and it becomes against the rules. So maybe the FIA is uh, pulled a little bit of a sneak and decided to put their foot down on all that kind of thing and really just strap down their word as law with uh, limiting interpretation of rules. Yeah, so if that's the case, um, then it's really going to come down to engines. Um, and I don't know if you saw this or saw the news. It wasn't really blown up as much as I thought it would be. But Honda extended their deal with Red Bull until 2025, I believe. Yes. So yep. they're not actually so. leaving like I've, like they said for the last two years. <laughs> Which is interesting, yeah. Uh, another thing that I saw, let me find it in my tabs here, was... I don't know if I'm going to find it, but uh, the FI will begin uh, homologating the 1.6 liter engine uh, sometime around 2025 too. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. I seem to have lost the tab, but it seems like they're going to be potentially strapping down more on engines too in the future. Interesting. That'll be good. I know a lot of the a lot of the quote unquote cheats that have been like done in the last decade have been engine related. You know, Ferrari is probably the most famous one. Um, yeah. You know, with their, I mean, I don't know if you saw how they did it, but it was actually really cool and clever. <laughs> yeah, it was. I've watched a couple of technical breakdowns, uh, and of course, the the donut media kind of combining of all the sources to kind of put it into an easy bite-sized chunk. And honestly, I'm kind of impressed that they got caught at all at one point. But I would, as much as I love to see like little loopholes and innovations made. Uh, in terms of a racing series, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see the FIA cracking down more on that kind of thing and, you know, even limiting power unit changes within the seasons. Yeah. Well, yeah, that would be that would be an added challenge to the whole the whole season. I mean, they have, what, three engines to make it throughout the season right now, and they just keep adding more races every year, it feels like. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was a big thing that seemed really evident this past season but not the season before was uh engine penalty changes uh or rather penalties for engine changes uh, and you saw teams like mercedes especially mercedes and red bull uh making multiple power unit changes throughout the year uh, if you look at mercedes towards the back three quarters of the season they really uh turned their car into a rocket ship for those last few races yeah, that was one really interesting thing. Um, when Lewis took that engine penalty in Brazil and mm -hmm. put the spicy Brazil engine in, as, as they, as Mercedes called it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, 
it was just absolutely flying, but um, I think, I mean, the reason for that was because they were able to turn the engine up higher, uh, make it run hotter, faster, um, just because they didn't need it to last as long. Because I think there were only, what, three races left in the season at that point? Maybe four? Yeah. Four, I think, actually. But still. And they only used it for three of them, I believe. Yeah. Um, so that that was pretty impressive. But I think that was probably a one-off that we won't see again in future seasons. Yeah. And it, I, if I recall, they just really messed up Bottas' engines for the whole year of course he did crash yeah. have that crash in emola with george russell where that i'm sure was a total loss yeah yeah i can't remember how much they swapped out but it must have been driving almost a brand new car at that point yeah it was a massive accident all right um so we've got sweet let's see the haas launched just a couple of days ago there was a lot of you know, mixed feelings on that. I mean, the car looks almost exactly the same as it did last year in terms of the livery. So yeah. I don't know what, what to take from that in terms of Haas's future. Um, <laughs> I would say I heard... it's not the best look, but, you know. Yeah, my roommate actually said something funny, uh, kind of offhand. He was like, man, uh, he said something about the, uh, you know, team management being Russian. I was like, no, it's it's still Haas. It's still Gene Haas who owns the team, technically. His name's on the car, and he's American. He's like, interesting. So yeah. it, it's very evidently to a lot of people, even people who watch Formula 1 pretty closely, that uh, it's definitely not as cut and dry as Haas' name being on the car and Haas being in charge. So as much as I would have liked to see a different livery, I think it was inevitable that we saw kind of the same paint scheme as past year yeah i i would argue that well to me it's hard to know because a lot of the behind the scenes stuff like that we only really get to see and drive to survive every year and yeah you know who knows how much of that is accurate <laughs> um famously <laughs> yeah yeah so. one of these days we're gonna have to go through and root through and see how much netflix actually adds yeah, but I mean, last year, last season of Drive to Survive, um, it made it look like Haas was just falling apart at the seams. Yeah, which like, I don't, I don't think that was the case. Yeah, I, I think Haas is smarter than that as a team. You kind of have to be to make it to even where they are in the sport. So that's a classic bit of Netflix drama. But I think people were a lot disappointed by this reveal of Haas because. Haas was very vocal last year and the year before by how they were not changing their cars for two years so that they could put all that resources and funding into the new car. And then to see the new car look, A, so similar to the show car, and B, uh, share the same livery and not really that exciting of a design uh, compared to last year's car. I think that was kind of the hype train getting a little bit derailed yeah, that's actually a very good way to put it, because, yeah, they were definitely hyping up. They're like, oh, we're going to be top of the midfield with this new car, because we're gonna <laughs> just stopping all work on the old cars. Yeah, um, and we know that they can be solidly midfield with this management. Maybe not the same driver lineup. I think it's going to take a, maybe a season or two more for uh, Mick and Nikita to actually kind of come to grips with not just the cars, but the politics and, you know, the racecraft of Formula One. But we've seen that the management can bring this team to midfield. It's just a matter of how they utilize these resources that they've so vocally saved up. For sure. I mean, yeah, and I think it was 2018 they came fourth, right? Um, yeah. In the Constructors' Championship, um, which is incredible for a team their size, I think, in, like, you they said in that season they had, what, 250 employees or something like that, mm-hmm. which is absolutely nothing in the world of Formula One. Um, so the fact that they came fourth place with Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen in those seats that year was incredible, but they, it seemed like they just, after that, they just completely died off. And I almost wonder, like, if, if Kevin Magnussen and Grosjean were just so much better than everybody gave them the credit for 
Um, well, I mean, you've seen both of them do really well in IndyCar, and Kevin Magnuson has been doing... I haven't really kept up with him, but I know he's been at least racing and doing pretty decently in some uh, endurance races. Yeah, he, he raced actually in the Rolex 24. He was... Let me see if I can see who he raced with. I'm pretty sure it was with Kevin... Or Marcus Erickson, yeah. yeah. Marcus Erickson, Alex Lynn, and Earl Bamber. So... Um, yeah, it's like all these XF1 drivers are going and racing in all these really big series now, and I think it's cool. Like, I almost feel like the. I mean, obviously the dream is to be in Lewis Hamilton's position. Um, mm-hmm. That's the childhood dream, right? But I would I would argue that you almost feel more fulfilled if you spread out your success throughout more series. Um, and Marcus Ericsson especially has really risen to the occasion in IndyCar. Uh, as well as Grosjean. Yeah. Um, Grosjean's return has been incredible. Just after, like, I watched that crash live, and I thought he died. <laughs> yeah, that was, I didn't see it live, but even not seeing it live, uh, luckily I didn't have anything spoiled for me, but it was an incredible crash, and, the, you know, of course, then he turns right around, goes into IndyCar, and is utilized really well uh, by the team that he drives for, and, He's moving to a, a much more bigger established team this year, so I'm excited to see him get into more of the circle track racing because a lot of the time he was more just the circuit racer uh, for the team. IndyCar is kind of weird. You can use different drivers for different circuits and scenarios. Uh, right. But I'm excited to see him take a more role in, in uh, his new team. Yeah, I think it's Andretti, right? Andretti Motorsport? It might be, yeah. Um. So, yeah, he, I think, has a very bright future in IndyCar ahead of him. He loves the U.S., I can tell you. Just follow him, follow him on Instagram. He just loves being here, loves living here. Um, so I'm really happy for him that he was able to kind of bounce back. I don't know even just how I could get in a race car after a crash like that. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of comebacks, uh, I want to talk about my car launch that I'm waiting for for F1, which is McLaren. Uh, oh yeah, I we saw last season that Lando Norris just has so much potential. Uh, especially during that first half of the season, he was on a serious parade of just dominance at the top of the midfield, which is really impressive to see out of such a young driver with a new teammate who is really coming to grips with the car. And uh, even though technically he's first driver, using air quotations there, uh, not really being able to support and the way that maybe Sergio Perez or uh, Valtteri Bottas has been able to do for their respective teammates. Uh, So I'm really impressed with Lando Norris, and I'm excited to see him get into a car that's maybe a bit closer to even the top than they were last year. Yeah, I hope so. Um, It was a little concerning to me. I saw on the news uh, a couple days ago that um, Zach Brown didn't seem too confident that they would be fighting at the top this year. He said it was more of a two or three year deal. Um, so if that's the case, then you know it'll be interesting to see. I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen. I mean, how can you? No, and I don't think anybody expected Lando Norris to really be that good last season either. I mean, even in Russia, he would have taken top place if he hadn't, you know, made an inexperienced young driver choice. Uh, yeah. to stay on reins uh, whether that was him or the team or a combination of both I can't really remember uh, but you know that's kind of a young driver indecision thing whereas you saw the older more experienced drivers like Lewis Hamilton swap onto wets uh, a lot sooner and make it to the end of the race uh, yeah and hopefully that's something that Danny Ricciardo can bring to the team once he comes to grip with the car uh because admittedly I'm biased he's probably my favorite driver since Kimi Raikkonen retired <laughs> uh, yeah, but I really want to see him do well, and I think hopefully starting kind of from zero blank slate with these new cars will kind of rectify some of the problems he was having last year, which seemed to be largely that he just wasn't used to the style of car that McLaren was uh, engineering. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Lando's really exciting to watch. He's one of the stars of the future, I am certain. Um, Daniel Ricardo is, yeah, I think one of one of my most anticipated will he won't he stories this season like 
It says, I don't, I don't know. If he doesn't do well and McLaren decides to swap him out for Pato Award, who, by the way, topped the timing sheets uh, in Abu Dhabi in the driver's test. Did he really? Um, yeah, by, I think, quite a margin, if I remember correctly. Um, so if they decide to swap him out, which I really would not be surprised, um, I don't know where he's going to go. <laughs> yeah, because... Like, everywhere set right now for a while other than maybe i don't know alpine because like fernando alonso is not going to be in the sport for probably more than a year or two yeah that's yeah that's an interesting uh interesting conundrum there so i mean my main strategy is just hope that he starts to come to grips with the car more at mclaren and not have to worry about where he goes if he's let go yeah, hopefully. I, I, I love the guy, too. He's one of my favorite drivers. <laughs> um, so hopefully he does well. Uh, let's see. What do we got? Let me let me go through the list of the launches we know so far. Um, let's see. We got Red Bull on February 9th, Aston Martin on February 10th, McLaren on February 11th, AlphaTauri February 14th, Ferrari on February 17th, Mercedes on February 18th, Alpine on February 21st, Alfa Romeo on February 27th, Haas was already done on the 4th, and um, Williams, I don't think, has been announced yet. So Very interesting. Pretty busy next couple weeks. Um, I'm super stoked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm excited to just be watching and get distracted from all my other... Uh lifestyle responsibilities to see these cars and pour over all the details <laughs> yeah that's oh uh, man i i just i love f1 so much i'm so excited for it to be back i have missed it in the off season just with the amount of insanity that happened last season it just felt like it it all came to a grinding screeching halt and um <laughs> just yeah. like after headline after headline on the daily last year it's like we're going weeks at a time without any news this year and it's quite the quite the change we're in a little bit of a an f1 drama hangover i think after uh, abu dhabi yeah one of the big stories um this off season was whether or not lewis hamilton will retire um before the start of this next season what, what are your thoughts on that I, I don't see it happening for a while. Uh, I think he's still, you know, age-wise, he's still young, but he's got, at this point, so much experience uh, over a lot of the grid, except for, you know, Vettel and Alonso and some of the older drivers. So I think he's he's still got a ways to go in the sport, uh, especially in this new uh, car era. I think he's going to stick around and see just how far he can take the new cars yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I don't know if you saw, but he just finally posted something on social media for the first time. Yeah, yeah. So um, and just be by the caption of that, which is, I think I was like he said I was gone, but now I'm back or something like that. I think that's just kind of him saying I'm I'm not leaving. Yeah. So um, yeah, and I, I think it, after everything that happened, no matter what side of it you're on, I think it's uh, it's probably healthy for him to probably get away from all of it. Uh, whether you're his fan, endless support, or you know Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton uh, isn't isn't your favorite driver, I think being able to get away with that and kind of reassess and reset your mind to racing, uh, I think that'll prove really beneficial for him. Yeah, I hope so. I I would be really sad to see him go if he decided to leave. Um, I think he is definitely still at the top of his game. Um, and I would love to see another fight between him and Max. Um, cause I think I, if I'm being honest, I don't think, I, I think it's going to be Red Bull and Mercedes at the top again this year. Um, Ferrari oh, yeah. might join in. Um, maybe, but the thing you have to think about is in terms of team management, both Red Bull and Mercedes are far more used to being at the top at this point in their current states than any other team. So they have a mentality and all the other groundwork laid outside of the car uh to be champions this season 
Absolutely. Um, I don't think Perez is going to take it to Max um, in terms of actually giving him a challenge. I think Perez has a certain driving style that just kind of hinders him from doing that, where he struggles in qualifying, and then he's really good in races, and so he just plays catch-up for the entire race. <laughs> he's a very conservative driver compared to his teammate. Oh, that is 100% true, and he's very consistent too, which is why I think Red Bull picked him up, is because he always scores points. Yeah, although I, I do think that might end up biting him uh, this season, because I, I honestly think Lando might actually have a chance at consistently, you know, taking it to Perez uh, and George Russell, both of them, and making them really, you know, feel a little bit of heat on their backs. Yeah. Um, how do you think George is going to, George Russell will compare to Lewis Hamilton this year at Mercedes? Well, we saw a little bit of him, not last season, but the season before Abu Dhabi, I believe, right? It was Bahrain. Was that- Bahrain. Well, it was uh, it was secure. <laughs> was the name of the the race? It was secure, the outer yeah. the outer circuit. Right, right. Uh, and he he did pretty well. Uh, granted, that car was really really dominant over even the Red Bull cars at that point. So I, talking from a clean slate, all drivers on the same level. I I don't see George really picking it up a huge amount this season. Luckily, he's been at Williams long enough to, you know, kind of develop his racecraft and figure out the field and all their strategies. But I think it'll take a lot, a little more time to pick up the slack than a lot of people are thinking, just because it's a huge amount of pressure, uh, not only racing for Mercedes, but racing alongside Hamilton and kind of acquiring this huge... He essentially has become a brand, a lot like Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Um, yeah, George, I think, is a really fast learner. I don't know if he'll be able to keep up with Lewis. I don't think anyone really could other than Max. Um, so I think, I think he's going to pick it up quickly, though, and I think the year after, 2023, will be when he really starts to break out. Um, the, uh, yeah, like you said, I think the biggest change for him is going to be the amount of pressure he's under, because at Williams, like... (laughs) A DNF basically meant nothing for his entire time there. Yeah, they were um, racing for any any battles, really, not even necessarily for points, but you know, just to battle other drivers, uh, aside from Haas, of course. Right, and so that's in terms of pressure, probably the least amount of pressure that you could be under. Um, so moving from that to the defending championship team where you're expected to put up no worse than fourth place every single race. <laughs> um, that That's going to be an adjustment for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm happy to see Red Bull hold on to a driver for a bit longer than half a season, so I think that'll be a big help to Perez's confidence. Yeah, for sure. Uh, who do you think would replace him? Do you think, do you think it's, they're going to go back to Gasly? Do you think Gasly would even go to Red Bull? Gasly... That's because you saw the first season, he was very intent on, you know, showing that Red Bull's wrong to replace him with Albon, uh, who was much younger than he was, I believe. Uh, he felt a little bit slighted by that, I think. So yeah. he's been doing really well at AlphaTauri, and I wouldn't be surprised if they reshuffle some things to, you know, in the future if Perez starts failing to get less than four or uh, greater than fourth place every race uh, i could see them potentially bringing him back up now that he's had a bit more experience at a midfield team yeah i could see it um it's just really hard to say but i mean gasly is obviously one of the most talented drivers on the grid in my opinion um just because of the consistent placement of that car where it doesn't belong especially in qualifying yeah um, especially like, compared to his teammate, I don't know if Sonoda is just not hitting the mark or if Gasly is just <laughs> that insanely good. I think it's probably a combination of both. I think Sonoda will do a lot better this season. I hope so. Uh, he seemed like he really wasn't used to the culture of F1 necessarily when he first started, but as he got, got into the season, you saw him kind of settle into his role uh, and kind yeah. of realizing what he's doing. 
Yeah, but, he had not yeah. a mouth out on when he started. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny, but I think it uh, maybe stretched Red Bull and AlphaTauri's patience a little bit. Yeah, I was I was convinced he was just shooting himself in the foot, but uh, alas, he got re-signed for the next year. Um, yep. So who do we think who do we think is going to be the surprise breakout team of the season? Um, I think I honestly I don't know. It's, it's it's so hard to say before any of the launches and any of the testing. Um, but Aston Martin has so has <laughs> even just this off season has expanded so much. Um, right. And they're building up so much that even if they don't don't break out this year, I think they will be at the top of the table within two or three years time. I think I could see that. I do think Vettel is getting on in years. I think he won't be looking to stay in for. A huge amount of time so it's really a matter of how stroll progresses because last season or the season before he was really actually kind of proving himself on the race he was having some pretty good placements uh this past season he kind of faded into the background behind Vettel so I'm hoping that maybe he can kind of start picking up the slack this season so that Vettel can maybe look to step back and in that case that might be an exciting driver lineup uh, depending on who they replace Vettel with. Yeah. Um, but for this season, I think my pick... Yeah. It's really hard for me to say. Uh, part of my heart really wants to say Haas, but I I don't think that'll be true. But I think Alpine, probably, Fernando Alonso has been doing really well, speaking of older drivers. Uh, and I think Alcon has actually been learning a decent amount from him. And he even got, you know, he did pretty well last season, as you could see from, uh, what race was that? Just the absolute mess of a race. Oh, Hungary? Or yeah, are Hungary. you talking about, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I have to think that's a team that has some promise this year. I know they keep memeing about El Plan, but I think in more serious terms, they actually have a, a shot at being seriously close to the top of the midfield. Yeah, I agree. I think Fernando is a great addition to that team, and he brings a lot of experience to that team. And this year, provided nothing terrible happens, um, he will pass Kimi Raikkonen with the record for most race starts. Oh, that's right. Um, So that'll be cool. Uh, I was looking up earlier today the records that Kimi will still hold, and a lot of them are just kind of like longevity-based. Yep. Like, he's got the longest time between two wins. Or, no, it's the longest, the most amount of races between two wins is what it is. Yeah. Um, I, I think but, Kimi's probably a lot happier as the uh, team principal for Kawasaki uh, Motocross, the factory-backed team. Oh, is that what he's doing now? Yeah. Uh, he decided he got bored, and uh, he's made it very clear that this is something that he's seriously invested in. Uh, which I think is interesting to see after he was, you know, he seemed pretty done with F1, but I think that was a lot of politics. So going down to something a bit more grassroots, like Kawasaki Motorsport as the factory-backed team, I think he'll uh, he'll do pretty well in that. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Um, I'll have to keep an eye on that. All right, so let's see. We got, looking at the calendar this year, we got a couple new tracks, or just one new track to start with. Uh, the Miami GP in the United States. Um, the track looks really cool and uh, runs through Hard Rock Stadium. Um, so I think it's going to be kind of like a Mexican Grand Prix kind of vibe in terms of that track uh, with the stadium section and, uh, you know, long straights. Um, yeah. So I think that'll be a really good race to watch. I'm excited to see how that all shakes out. We had a couple of new races on the track last year with Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Qatar is not on the calendar this year, but it is starting next year, and I believe they have a 10-year deal. I think so, it, yeah, 10 or 20 year. Yeah, so that'll oh, be interesting. So quite, quite a far ways out. I think it's interesting the placement of the Miami Grand Prix. Uh, in the calendar, it's right after the uh, Emilia Romagna 
Grand Prix and right before the Spanish Grand Prix. Yeah. So that's it's going to be a lot of traveling. <laughs> Luckily, there's a a decent amount of space between the Austri- the uh, Emilia Romagna and Miami Grand Prix, but uh, yeah, it's kind of out of the way. Usually, we have the U.S. race a bit further on in the season, as you can see with the United States Grand Prix. So. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, I didn't even notice that, but there are two weeks in between each each race there, so they should have enough time to make everything work. But yeah, that's quite the hopping around from Italy to U.S. back to Spain. Yep. So And yeah. uh, if you look at the top of the calendar, you'll see that they've stopped trying to get uh, Australia as the first race <laughs> of the season. Yeah, they, I did see they've that. They've given up on the bad bad juju surrounding that, evidently. <laughs> yeah, they put it as third this time. Um, and even then, they're going from... Hopping from Saudi Arabia to Australia, back to Italy. That's a lot of jumping around, too. But, you know, that's uh, why these guys are the best. <laughs> yep. All right. So, I also heard... Um, there's rumors floating around of a Las Vegas, uh, Vegas street baby. Circuit. Yeah, that would I'm be actually really so excited cool. about that one. If that actually pans out, that's a race I would go to every year. Yeah, because yeah, I'm I on can record with there. a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm on record with a lot of my friends is uh, hating Vegas. I went there one time for a Formula SA competition last June, and it was just miserable there. Uh, but I think if they get it early enough in the season or late enough so spring or fall it might actually be tolerable to visit and watch an f1 race and it's much closer to the west coast than either texas or miami yeah so when you say it was miserable was it just the heat it yeah it was a lot the heat uh really packed just if you're not into cigarette smoke then i wouldn't recommend going to vegas at all Uh, but you (laughs) know it's one of those things where it was fun but you wouldn't do it again kind of like living in a dorm room yeah (laughs) oh that's for sure um but yeah i mean it will be interesting to see i i think that if they if they did do a race in las vegas it would be a night race i don't see them doing a race down the strip during the day that makes no sense to me no Um, plus temperatures uh... would be lower yep yeah it's a big thing you think it would be uh around the strip I don't see where like how else they would do it if it's a street circuit. I mean, yeah, the whole point of F one is money, right? So that <laughs> that, <laughs> that I don't. That's true. If, if they don't race around the strip, I don't. I don't really get the point. But you know, they last time they had a race in Las Vegas, it was in the Caesar's Palace parking lot. So um. <laughs> there's there's been a few changes to Las Vegas since then. It's been a while. But yeah. I, I could see them potentially doing it on a strip. The roads have kind of changed. There's a lot of, you know, partitions and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, I could see them kind of building its own racetrack even, you know, kind of nearby. There's a lot of just open desert around that area. And they, they even have the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. They have infrastructure for, you know, racetracks and paddocks. So... Maybe the the wild card is that they completely redo the motor speedway into a F1 class uh, racetrack right outside of the city proper. It's possible. Okay, um, so let's see. the The season starts on March twentieth in Bahrain. Um, there's testing the week before that, uh, and that will be the first time we see cars on track. There is obviously testing in Barcelona before that at the end of this month, but it is closed and not going to be televised at all. So that's kind of unfortunate, but we will see the the fastest times around that circuit posted uh, by F1 after testing. So we'll have maybe a little bit more of an idea of who's out in front, but you know, at the same time, testing doesn't really mean anything. So... Yeah, no, I mean, you always hear the joke about Mercedes sandbagging and testing, but I think to a degree that there's truth there. Uh, I think a lot of teams don't show their hands at testing, so I'll be waiting until Bahrain to see how they do. Yeah, I think FP1 and Bahrain we'll start to see, and then for sure during the race, um, we'll start to see more of 
who's got what and uh, what the season's going to look like. Yep. Do you want to talk about what the uh, IndyCar season might look like? I know you're kind of wanting to start watching that. Yeah, IndyCar has... I just started watching it last year for the first time, so it, admittedly I know little about the sport compared to Formula One, but the races I did watch were insane, incredible, um, just with the cars being basically spec cars. Um, everybody's on a level playing field, so you really get the best drivers fighting it out at the front, which means since you know every track suits the driver's driving style differently, I mean, even the best driver is going to have an off day at one of his off tracks and someone else will win. And so it's it's uh, it's really different than F1. It's a completely, completely different sport, and it's oh, really yeah. fascinating to watch. Yeah, not quite as fast, but the drivers there are just fearless, uh, especially if on the topic of Roman Grosjean during the Laguna Seca race. Uh, he pretty much, coming off the corkscrew, hopped over another driver's wheels yeah to take that place it's it's pretty incredible the not just the durability of the cars but you know the fearlessness of the drivers to really just put themselves into just insane situations there to get the place yeah now they they definitely have guts in any car um and that's another thing he's talking about the durability of the cars um the roads the tracks in the united states are really bumpy compared to everywhere else in the world yeah, it's like, a lot of road circuits. Yeah, so Laguna Seca has a lot of bumps in it. Um, Circuit of the Americas is notoriously bumpy and destroys. Like, if you watch, um, if you listen to the radios, like, the teams talk about the curbs in Circuit of the Americas and, I think, Monza, like, more than any other tracks because they're just absolutely deadly and they just rip cars apart. And Austria, too, has really bad curbs. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's kind of a thing with American tracks, it seems. Um, Laguna Seca is in a legendary, world-famous world, world famous track. Um, but I just don't think an F1 car could drive. I think it, it would just absolutely destroy itself. <laughs> yeah, no, and they just don't have the, you know, the size either. An F1 car, you know, needs a little bit of space to activate DRS and make it past other cars. And obviously that's hopefully a change that's coming this new season is that maybe DRS isn't as necessary in order to make a pass or a long straight or something like that but the reason these IndyCar drivers get so close and so personal with the other drivers in terms of uh, you know trading paint is because these tracks Laguna Seca is a good example are just smaller than the uh, typical F1 track which although I'd love to see F1 at Laguna Seca because A it's super close and B it's probably one of my favorite racetracks uh, it's, these tracks are just small and tight, so it makes the the racing small and tight too. Yeah, that's definitely a good way to put it. Um, IndyCar, another reason I think the racing is closer is because of the push-to-pass system. Um, yeah. You drivers have to use so much more strategy, I feel, in IndyCar because you, you've hit so many, so many more times in IndyCar compared to Formula One. Like... In IndyCar, a four-step race is not uncommon mm-hmm. um, because you have to refuel, which obviously is not allowed in F1 anymore. Um, so in IndyCar, you refuel, you got tires as well, and then you can only have a certain amount of people in the pit stop, and so that adds another uh, layer to how complex it all is. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite, I know this might be weird, one of my favorite things to see... Uh, in IndyCar pit stops is when they they take this massive like fire hose and spray the car off as it's driving away so that there's no oh, yeah. fuel left on it. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously a reason that they uh, switched to just carrying all the fuel on board in F1, but so it's exciting to you know have that little extra stakes involved in pit stops and a little more strategy involved in terms of how much time it takes because you know these IndyCar teams aren't. Red Bull pit teams where they're banging out a pit stop in less than two seconds. They're, you know, they're taking their time. They're a lot more deliberate. Not to say that the F1 pit top pit stops aren't deliberate, but they take a bit more time uh, because they gain time elsewhere. Right, and a lot of the time is, you know, 
refueling. So, I mean, in, in IndyCar, you have probably about nine seconds to change the tires before, you know, it's waiting on the tires <laughs> because the fuel takes eight to nine seconds usually. Yeah. Um, so that's a completely different thing to Formula One, which is, yeah, so, and drivers can make passes off track just by taking a lighter fuel load, um, then overtaking in the pits, and then, you know, then they have to either manage their fuel or make another stop, and that's, that just, it adds so much strategy to the mix that it's actually kind of, it's so cool, because you get to see different people leading the race at different times, and then on the last few laps, it all comes together at the end, you see who's really in front. Yep. Yeah, it's a lot, some parts are hard to keep track of, but the overall strategy is really complex and really interesting to watch play out. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard somebody who is really into IndyCar say is that uh, if the rules are gray, you're free to play. Uh, so, you know, track <laughs> limits are not as strict. You can, you know, do crazy things in the pit lane uh, all to gain the edge over the opponent, which I absolutely think kind of limits the amount that teams are trying to push to find loopholes in the actual car rules because there's so many other ways that you can gain time that give you a lot better times uh, than, you know, trying to squeak by an extra vortices generator on your barge board. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, you said they, they don't they don't uh, watch track limits as closely, and I just thought back to a clip I saw of uh, them racing, IndyCar racing at the Circuit of the Americas, and they were just, on the second to last corner, they went so incredibly wide to maintain their speed. <laughs> yeah, that they went so far off the track and no one said anything and it just looked absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, um, that's just racing, man. But yeah, no anything to get ahead. Um, so last year Alex Pillow won the championship um, ahead of Joseph Newgarden and Pato Award. Uh, it was really close at the top, like until the last race. Um, I think there was there was like. There were six drivers that could technically mathematically win it going into the last race. Yeah, all the way down insane. to uh, Marcus Erickson, I think, right? Something like that. Um, so, yeah, that's another thing about IndyCar is it stays way closer between the best drivers. Um, I think Pato Award is gonna is gonna do really well this year. I think I. <laughs> He's been so good in everything he's touched that, and now he's got more experience in IndyCar, and he only ramped up towards the end of the season. So I, I just, I, I think it's going to be between Pulau and Award this year for, for the top. Yeah. Possibly Scott Dixon coming back into it, um, and even Roman Grosjean now being at Andretti, uh, he scored. What was it? He got one pole position, uh, got four top five finishes, six top six finishes, um, I think two podiums. Um, yeah and that was that was uh, his rookie year that's insane yeah and like i mentioned before he wasn't racing in all the races yeah he he skipped out on the ovals yeah he skipped on the ovals primarily did the road circuits which it sounds like i don't have a source for it but it sounds like that's something that he's looking to get into is more the oval racing too yeah he'll he will Uh, be racing in all the all of the races this year including the 500 so i think he's I mean, you saw in F1, he's not afraid to get in a little bit of a fight. So I think in IndyCar, where you can really capitalize on that, I think he could actually do pretty well. Uh, I think the old hats, you know, Palau, Pat Award, Colin Herta, not necessarily like old drivers, but people who have been doing it a little longer. Uh, I think he's still going to be chasing them, but I don't think it's long before he kind of comes to grips with it. Yeah, it's going to be really, really fascinating to see what happens there. Um, and then also we got a couple of new drivers coming in with Callum Eilat. Uh, let me see who are the rookies this year. Callum Eilat, Christian Lundgaard, uh, David Malakis, or Malukas, sorry, uh, Devlin DeFrancesco, Kyle Kirkwood, and Tatiana Calderon are all rookies this year. So we have a large large field of rookies fighting for that rookie the rookie of the year this year which will be fun to watch yep that's honestly one of the great things about indycar is there's so many drivers for all the different teams it's not just a static two you know you have yeah multiple drivers for all these teams who might you know race one time and not race another time but 
it's a, a good chance for the new drivers to get initiated without having to only race, you know, after everybody else is finished with the the big event for the weekend. Yeah. No, it's really cool. Um, the, you know, barrier for entry for IndyCar is so much smaller than other motorsports. Like, it doesn't cost $300 million a year to run a team. It's, no. you know, it's, I think, what, it was... 40 which you know is still insane i don't actually have a source for the numbers but i know it's it's like only a fraction of the size of you know like an f1 team um which you know that's why there's so many more cars so many more teams and um you just get a team that runs one car or you know there's so much more so many more options for people wanting to get into the sport that yeah there really is super inclusive everybody's on the same field so if you got a good team you can win which is one thing i love about the sport yep um so yeah um let's see who do we think we talked about who we think we're gonna see at the top i think colton herta is gonna be up there too he's he's really good (laughs) yeah i think he's i think he's got a little something to prove too all the rumors with uh andretti and uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber. Yeah. Uh, I think he maybe has, hopefully he has something a little bit to prove that, you know, hey, look, I'm an IndyCar driver, but I could just as easily go into F1 and, you know, be right up there at one of the teams. Absolutely. I think there are several people in this field that could do that and make it pretty seamless. Um, and there's also, I mean, there's a lot of XF1 drivers in this field, like uh Grosjean and Marcus Ericsson um I think Alexander Rossi even I think was a Formula One driver for a couple of years in the early 2000s right um so and, uh, yeah there's Callum Callum Milo sounds familiar too I want to say he was probably one of the junior drivers for one of the teams right Callum Eilat was a he was an F2 last year yeah and he, he he actually started his uh he had his IndyCar debut last year but i it says that he's eligible for rookie of the year this year so i'm sure if you come in maybe like more than halfway through the season you're a rookie next year i guess probably yeah um so yeah there's it's gonna be another thrilling IndyCar year i'm sure um probably really close uh there's lots of up-and-comers that look really good in this field um, so the first race of the season is on February 27th. So that's coming up. I'm, I'm definitely looking that's forward really to close. that. So that's in St. Petersburg, um, in Florida, that street circuit, which always, always has good racing. Um, so other than IndyCar, uh, I'm really looking forward to MotoGP starting up. Um, and WRC is pretty much a year round thing. So we'll talk about that on the show. Uh, just as things happen. Um, And then World Endurance Championship just started up too. So we'll have a lot to talk about here in the next few months. Yeah, maybe Formula E. I'd have to be be convinced. You'd have to buy me dinner first before we talk about Formula E a whole lot. (laughs) Formula E's, uh, that's a whole different... (laughs) I'm not really quite sure what I think about Formula E yet. I don't think they quite have the format perfected. I think they still need to tweak it a little bit. Yeah. No, I don't think they quite... I don't think Formula E quite knows what to think about Formula E yet. Yeah, they change the the rules so much every year, and with the... It just seems like with the, you know, speed zones and the you know, the, the weird fan boost stuff, it just feels like a it video seemed, game almost. Yeah, it almost feels more like if Formula One, like the actual Formula One cars had social media pages exactly <laughs> it's a popularity it, contest it really is so, so it yeah i hope to see it kind of uh take off in popularity later on down the line but for now uh might have to be coerced to into watching some of those races yeah 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 it's uh it's kind of an interesting series for sure but you know, uh, the more the merrier. Electric cars are the definitely the future. 
of just motor like automobiles in general so um i think it's important regardless of you know it's short shortcomings um yeah that they get that going to bring awareness to it because i don't think people realize how close electrification is um so yep that is the future of of our channel talking about all the different series going on around the world um we'll try to stay on international stuff but uh i'll throw indycar in there as well even even though that's primarily the u.s i think only in the u.s actually um so that's kind of where we're at um we will probably do another episode before the start of the season um hopefully after testing or maybe during testing and then uh before the first race just to kind of give our final predictions maybe a shorter shorter episode on that one um but then once the f1 season especially launches we'll start doing our probably weekly shows or bi-weekly haven't really decided yet but we'll get across that bridge when we come to it we will indeed Alrighty, so thank you everybody so much for listening on whatever platform you chose to listen to I uh, really appreciate it. I am Nathan Nevue, and this is Ben. Um, yep. Follow me at OIT Racing on Instagram. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye bye.